Uh, good to see you all, and thank you so much. It was very, I think that's very meaningful song. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know me, my name is Sung Jin, and then I think, unfortunately, this is my last time preaching in this church because we are moving to Northern Ireland. The 15th of November, we set the date, so that's a moving day. So uh, it's great to get to know you, uh, and that this chance to preach to you as a last my kind of sermon. Yeah, uh, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is in a setting is that for the Israelites, they were taken into exile. That's because they broke the covenant, which means uh, they didn't, you know, obey the covenant commands that God commanded them to follow, and then they didn't. And the result is they were into exile, and uh, prophesied by Jeremiah, and then exile in Babylon for seventy years. Seventy years is about two generations. For example, I've been here in England 20 years, but 70 years is some years that I will have my grandchildren or maybe grand-grandchildren around. They're kind of long periods. So when God spoke to them to go back to Jerusalem, it wasn't easy at all because Jerusalem was in a desolation. No buildings, no walls, no settlement. So if I just say to my children, that, oh, let's go back to Korea, where would you live just in the field, and we can build the house, you know, a little bit of tent at first, but we can build the house. And they would just say, oh, oh you so love to go there. But rather than that, they would say, oh, maybe I don't want to go there. I want to stay here. So in the midst of this, uh, you know, exile period, God actually tried to bring his people back. So can I have the PowerPoint up? The first one, the return to the exile according to what God has promised, and then people are coming back. And then after this exile, the books that we can find about this after exile, which is a post exilic period, is Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles, Book of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and Esther. Uh, God is so faithful, as God prophesied. They, tried, they started to come back to Jerusalem, but it wasn't easy, and it, they were not released to come back because they become slaves, or they become part of some other empire, which was the Babylonian Empire. But God prophesied that he's going to send his people back by the hand of Cyrus. The Cyrus is a king Persian empire because... Babylonian Empire was destroyed by Persian Empire. The first Persian king was Cyrus. So the first, so that's the year 539. You don't need to remember, but this is going to be on our website. This is a very significant for anybody who's studying the Bible, Old Testament time. So there are three people groups coming back, one, two, three, in a different time. The first one is by the Zerubbabel. He's a leader in you know, gathering these people back to exile. And after that, the very famous guy, Ezra, he was a high priest. He was a priest. He's a scribe, a law expert. And then he came back. And then the third time, Nehemiah. So when we read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had the burden to bring his back, people back to build a Jerusalem. But he was not the first guy who led his people back to Jerusalem. So next one. PowerPoint? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think British Museum is one of the best classrooms for Bible study. And this is what you can see, actually, in the British Museum. 
This is what we call silence cylinder. And the book of Isaiah is a prophecy is that uh, my hand, for the, my hand, which is my servant, Cyrus, I'm going to bring my people back. And then when, when, King Cyrus, when Cyrus was on the throne uh, after Babylonian Empire, his policy was completely changed. And then his policy is, uh, you know, send the ethnic people group back to their one home country, and then they allow them to worship their national gods. But in, in the past, it wasn't possible. But what God said through Isaiah is, he's my servant, and he's my hand. And then this cylinder is that kind of content, contains that content. As a king of Persian Empire, I'm going to send every people group, those who want to go back to their one country, uh, they are allowed to go back. And then he even funded them to go back. So, you know, through the tax. And then he was helping people to go back. Amazing thing is you can see this only in the British Empire. This is original from Persian Empire ruins. And this, how Cyrus Serenda has been translated most of the languages. And then this is in United Nations headquarters displayed. Because uh, in human history, humanity, uh, human rights, and then maybe he is regarded as the first human rights movement guy, taking care of the minority, ethnic minority people group. So it's very, very significant, important, not only for Christians, but historians. But what God said is my servant, and that was God, you know, uh, planned to do this for his people, Israelites. And, yeah, next one. Yeah, as I said, when Zerubbabel first came back, because imagine there is a desolation, nothing there in Jerusalem, but first thing is build a temple, because the reason they come back is because of God. So it wasn't easy for them to build a temple because they started to build from scratch, nothing to build, from nothing to build a solid temple. And there was a word of God, Haggai, Prophet Haggai and Zechariah, specifically those prophets, they prophesied that God is going to help you to build a temple. That was opposition from the neighboring countries. And then it was one of the most successful building projects because they finished temples so quickly. But it wasn't their effort. Of course, this is their effort. But Zechariah, the very well-known verse is that not by your mind, not by my might, not by my power, but by the Spirit of God, God is going to fulfill it. And that's what, what actually happened. By the power of the Spirit, by, by the Spirit of God, they built God's temple. And then another, yeah, next one. Yeah, the next one. Next one. Yeah. Ezra came back. The next thing, when they finished the temple, next thing uh, they did is by the leadership of Ezra, uh, he renewed the covenant. He reinforced, uh, uh, you know, the co- Moses' law because what they experienced in the past is because they broke the laws, they broke the covenants, and they now get the lesson. The only way for the Israelites to live as God's people is by keeping the law. So, Ezra is really reinforcing and renew the laws. Second, uh, the next one. Yeah, and then now in our background, Nehemiah is building the temp- building Jerusalem wall. The temple is built, but there is no city. Uh, in the past, 
the city was like you know the cathedral inside the castle. So they need to build the city, but that was God's promise because God really clearly said, "I'm gonna uh, appoint one place for my name to dwell. That is Jerusalem." Then now his mission is to come back to build this Jerusalem. The next next picture. Uh, this is a writing. You know, do you remember Jeremiah's job is cupbearer, right? He's cupbearer, which means he's kind of tester of the food uh, for the kings in case someone is poisoning, uh, uh, poisoning. So he is tasting, or he's testing first. So he was a cupbearer, and then this is from Persian Empire. This cup, maybe during the Persian Empire, Persian kings used to use this one. And then this is also taken in British Museum. So one, as I said, one of the best Bible classrooms is the British Empire. And then it's only one hour away by train. So I've been leading you know, the, that kind of uh, British Museum tour. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, kind of sad that I can't do this at church. I haven't done with the church, but I think that's a really nice place to uh, go and see something that, is, that happened in the Bible book. Okay, now, uh, chapter 6 and 7 is what I'm talking about today. And uh, just before chapter 6 and 7, uh, there are chapter 4 5 is all temple building, but it wasn't easy building because there were oppositions. There were oppositions from the neighboring countries, neighboring enemies. So uh, the first opposition was by the mockery because when people, surrounding nations, when surrounding neighbors heard that they are building the temple, they were in the, Nehemiah 4 1, he says, it was greatly enraging to him, and he mocked the Jews. So they started to mock the Jews. So, do you think you can build a temple in a day? And then, actually, when they saw the temple was being built, and then now they had a conspiracy. They have an alliance with the neighboring countries, and then they come and attack. Oh, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Uh, and then they actually tried to fight against these people so that they cannot finish the Jerusalem. So you see these external oppositions when Jeremiah had a mission or call uh, you know, to fulfill. It was an easy journey because there was an opposition. But it was not just external Opposition, the attacks coming from outside, but at the same time inside, from inside. Because under Jewish laws, the Jews are not allowed to take the interest from what they loan, from the loan. Okay, so for example, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus says, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a moneylender, charge him no interest. That was a very clear. Jewish law. But within Jewish community, they have a high tax and exhortation. So people are suffering. In, in the midst of this building, imagine that they don't have any house yet, and they are about to build a house, they are building the temple, and the opposition. So what they did is half of them, they were building with a sword and spears ready to fight. So fighting and building was at the same time and then run out of food because uh, the nobles and high officers, they took so much interest from what they landed. 
to the poor people. So they couldn't survive even. So by violating the law itself has been a very, very strong internal opposition. Of course, people wouldn't focus and they wouldn't feel they can finish this in these circumstances. So this is all against the nation from the surrounding nations to these people so that they cannot finish the temple, you know, Jerusalem building. So I think the passage we, uh, we read today is still the continuation of the opposition from national level to one specific person. This is a leader, Nehemiah. So, do you get it? Surrounding neighbors, they were opposed to this nation, entire people, not to build a temple. Now it comes to Nehemiah, opposition and attack specifically to the leader, against the leader. So that's what it says in the chapter 6. Okay. Chapter 6, when the temple was built and then there was a bridge in the wall, but now the bridge is filled up. Now there's no bridge, which means wall has been finished. But they didn't stop opposing. They stopped, you know, they keep attacking these people. Uh, okay, so Nehemiah 6 2 said, Sambalab and Geshem sent me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekafarim in the plain of Ono, and they intended, intended to do me harm. Can, I, can we have the PowerPoint up? The previous one? Yes. Yes, when you see that Jerusalem is a hill, hillside, and the surrounding nations above Samaria, and the Sambala is a, kind of the name that we just find the most. He's from Samaria, but Samaria and Judah, they were always enemy. And Geshem is from somewhere else, and then we find the name Tobiah, he's from Ammon, and the Moabites, all the surrounding nations. And the next one. What Sambalam and Geshen is saying is that he talked to Nehemiah, please come up to Ono. Where is Ono? About 30 miles away from Jerusalem. I said, actually, because Jerusalem is quite hilly, it's about a day's journey. So if he has to go there, he has to stop, and then a day's journey, and then maybe he doesn't have about, you know, one hour cup of tea meeting. It might be a few days meeting in, in general in the past. If so, few days meeting, back and forth, another extra two days for travel itself. So it's, it's a long journey. So it's definitely distract Nehemiah, but on top of that is to intention to do harm. So Jeremiah, he didn't respond to it. He didn't go. So still attack is coming from outside. It's specifically against Jeremiah, the leader. And if they, this didn't happen, they sent four times the messenger and said, let's come up, okay, let's, you just come up and then let's meet up. But he didn't, and then the last thing is he said, okay, what, what Sambala is saying, now I heard the rumor that Jeremiah wants to be a king. Nehemiah, I'm sorry. Nehemiah wants to be a king. I think the implication is if Nehemiah really tried to be a king, he's a very trustworthy of a Persian king. By the favor and permission by the Persian king, he came to Jerusalem to build a temple. 
if he is, if he wants to be a king, it's a rebel, treason. And then it, what he, what they, what he's trying to do is break the ties and trust between Jeremiah and Jewish people and Persian kings. This division is it's quite obvious division, you know, attack to divide these people and then separate their trust and break their trust bond. So even though this is specifically against Nehemiah, but this is not just only Nehemiah's, you know, uh, the effect doesn't come only upon Nehemiah. So you see, there are many external attacks happening. That didn't happen. The finally, there was another internal attack by the betrayal because uh, the Shemaiah, Shemaiah, he is a prophet. What he suggested is that let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, door of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So Shemaiah is a prophet. And what he's suggesting is really, really looking good because he knows attack, attempts to really kind of attack Nehemiah. So he said, let's meet in the temple of God. Temple of God, pagans cannot come in. So is there no access zone? And then when they are actually in the temple of God, it's a safe place, and then they will shut the door, and then they will be safe in there. Very, very good strategy. So, it looked, it's looking really nice, but is it really God's way? That's another question. Nehemiah, he didn't take it. There are a few reasons. First, the Bible said Shemaiah, who was confined to his home, which means he was confined. We don't know what, but maybe there must be a reason that he, must go, has, he has to go through some rituals. The question is, has he finished his confinement? Maybe it's by the law, a Levitical law, it might be. If he hasn't finished his confinement, he shouldn't come, the first thing. And second thing, can Nehemiah go into the temple then, under the law? Uh, imagine that the Ezra came back already, and that he really reinforced and renewed the covenant with the nation. Uh, Nehemiah, he can't go into the temple. I just read this verse. Let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priest and ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy. Priest or Levites, they are the people who can go into the temple to minister. So unless he is from Levites, he cannot go into the temple. That's another reason uh, that Nehemiah cannot. We, there's no very clear evidence whether Nehemiah is or is not a Levitical, but pretty much assumption is he's not a Levite. So he cannot. Another thing is, uh, he's a cupbearer. Uh, it's quite sad, but in, in, in the ancient empires, most of the cupbearers are trustworthy next to God, next to their king. And most of them are eunuchs. So Daniel, highly probable that he must have been a eunuch. He was taken, and then they were castrated by force because to really remove the threat you know, against the throne. So Nehemiah, just next to God, next to king, and he's trustworthy, those who can just close 
to king, and then ancient times, most, most of the eunuch, uh, cupbearers, they were eunuchs. But eunuchs cannot go into the temple by the Levitical laws. So maybe the, the Levitical law against you know, eunuchs to come into the temple is because some people, they want to be a high you know, position in ancient times. Maybe it was their choice to be a eunuch because they had a fame, money. It was a, it was a very, very you know, high level of uh, state, social status they could have. So Nehemiah, he doesn't have any Levitical authority, rights to go into the temple. But if he goes into the temple, that is a problem. Do you understand? So these, the prophets are just looking very nice, very, very strategic, but actually it isn't. So Nehemiah, he knew that. That's why the Nehemiah 6.13, it says, for this purpose he was hired, you know, Shemaiah was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. If Nehemiah had gone into the temple, the first, he committed a sin before God. Sin is separating us from God. So again, he's committing sin is a division from God. Again, this attack is to divide Nehemiah from God's presence. The second thing, is if he went into the temple, Jewish people, they know that he's not a Levite. He's, he's not supposed to get into the temple. But if he feared this, he might sin. Fear is not a sin, right? They try to fear him. But fear is not sin. But actually, when he entered into the sin, the division between him and God. And then actually, if he committed sin, now he will lose his fame and trust from the nation of Israel. So I think in both cases, the attempt is to divide Nehemiah from people, his own people. So attack, this, attack to this leadership is completely to mislead the nation of Israel so that they just stop building Jerusalem. I think... Those are very obvious attacks in this book, in this portion. Uh, it's really good to see how Nehemiah responded in this. In chapter 4, 5, 6, throughout all this opposition, Nehemiah, he really tried to work hard, not his might and power, but by the Spirit of God. I think that's the reason he could finish the temple. So, oh no, Jerusalem. And they said that Jerusalem was built so quickly. This is another tremendous building project finished. Uh, The result is all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their one esteem. For they perceived that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. So can we have a PowerPoint again? Yeah, Ezra and Nehemiah's return. Uh, for Jewish people, three things are very, very important. Their national identity can stand only God's temple, through the law, and the place of Jerusalem. So three things are ne- you know, necessary, vital for them to be God's people. is law, God's temple, and Jerusalem. But this is what God was doing through the hand of 
Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel by the leaders. Uh, so the book Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Chronicles are believed to be written by Ezra. And the Chronicles are different from Kings. Kings and Chronicles, you know, is all historic, the record of the kings. But first and second Chronicles are only talking about Judah, kings of Judah, instead of uh, you know, excluding the northern kingdom king because by the time the Ezra and people came back, there's no northern kingdom. What they need to do is they need to reestablish who they are in who, who's leading them to this place, which is God. So I think that's the significance. So yeah, can we have the next slide? Yeah, uh, the next one. Yes, uh, you can keep clicking. No, oh yeah, oh. I think something happened. Go before that. Yes, yeah. The next one. Next. Yes, click. Okay, uh, it doesn't matter. I think it's not working. There are quite a parallel we see in time of Exodus, time of return of exile. By the time of Exodus, we know Exodus is God's deliverance. Straight after Exodus, what they first did is to build God's temple, tabernacle in the wilderness. is God's dwelling, God's presence with them. And uh, when they built this tabernacle, they got the money from Egypt. By the time of Exodus, they didn't come with empty-handed. God provided so much, you know, valuable things. And then the tabernacle finished, and then the first thing after tabernacle building is keep the Passover. Passover is to remembrance of how God led them, you know, delivered them. The return of exile is similar things. When they come from exile, actually that is a deliverance from captivity as a slavery. And then the first thing when they come to, you know, Jerusalem is to build the temple, Jerubbabel, and Ezra covenant renewal. And then when they build this God's temple, they built through you know, Persian Empire's treasuries. So God provided them in other sense. And then when they finished the God's temple, the first thing they did is they kept the Passover. So, you know, quite similar situations. God delivered them and God commanded them to build God's dwelling place, and then they kept Passover, which means they celebrate God's remembrance, deliverance. Time of exile, exile, no, time of exodus, the leader was Moses, and then through Moses, God gave law, and after the law, what they did is genealogy, but genealogy is to become a nation, and forming their and realizing their identities. We have a genealogy in Korea. It was very common. I'm Kim, and then we have a Kim's genealogy, 70th generation from my ancestor. And then when they actually see, you know, search for their genealogy, what they realize is that just kind of follow up who's their, who's their ancestor, who's your father, and then eventually they got to God who called them to be his one people. So time of return, Ezra was a leader, and then Ezra was a scribe, and he's a law expert. What he did is, instead of giving the law, like Moses, but he reinforced the law so that this nation cannot fall away from God again, so that they can keep the covenant. And 
from chapter 7 in Nehemiah, you see a lot of genealogies now coming after in Ezra and Nehemiah. What they did is they took census again, but imagine 70 years in exile, and then 70 years they are dispersed in Babylonian Empire and Persian Empire. That's the time when the Jewish people dispersed all throughout the region. Now some of them are coming back. When they come back, they don't know each other. They say they all know they are Jews, but they don't know who they are, where they are from. But actually, when they took the genealogies, when they do the census, it's a moment that they become one family again, and then they realize who I am in God. So this is just a set up the national identity. So Exodus is God's initiative to bring his people and give them law, and then they made one family so that the Jewish people, they can be God's kingdom. And then imagine that it failed, and then they were into exile. And then now they are coming back. It's God's initiative to bring them back, even by the pagan king, by funding even. And then God gave them the law so that they can be their kingdom again. And then they realize who they are finally. It was God's initiative to do this. But it was the second time. They failed. The nation failed to follow and to keep the covenant. But God gave them the second chance. God gave them the second chance. Continuously, God tried to establish these people as his people because they were given a national destiny to be a missionary nation. That's a long story, so I can't tell them. But God called the Israelites to, so that they can be a priestly kingdom. That's what God promised in the book of Exodus. Priest kingdom is, in modern terms, is a missionary nation. So Israelites, their destiny is to know God, and then they teach God to the nations. That's the, that's the purpose and calling for God's kingdom. But they failed. If they failed, how on earth other nations get to know who God is? So God is giving them second chance. So God is funding them. God is leading them. God is fighting for them. Now finally, after Nehemiah and Ezra, they set up, as, you know, set up a nation again as God's kingdom. That's the, almost toward the end of Old Testament story. So I think all of us are the same here. Then we are sitting here by the grace of God. None of us, we are perfect. All of us, we are sinners. But God's free grace has called us to be here. I know. Even so, if we, even we experience God's love and grace and mercy, but we keep singing. We are sinners. It doesn't mean that but we are not because we can. I would say we are weak. Uh, we are so fearful. And then many times we are coming against God. But God is coming to give us another chance. But when God is calling us to do something, there are oppositions from outside, inside, in and out, all the time. But how do we fulfill our destinies? It's only by fixing our eyes on God and by being known who I am in God. And we keep praying that I'm not going to do this by my might, nor by my power, but by the Spirit of God. So I'm very hopeful and then have faith in me and all of us here sitting today that we do have, you know, the faithful God and graceful God and then bear us. He put up with us. I'm not saying that we keep singing, but 
His grace is enough because He knows our limits, but He pushes us to go one step further to fulfill our callings in life, calling and destinies. So, can I pray? Yeah, God, you are a yeah, wonderful God. You are the entire owner of the universe, but you are still uh, very, very humble, and yet you came to uh, us in a human form because you, you bear the sin and you experienced human faults, human faults, human weaknesses, and then now you can finally identify us, God. So you have called us uh, in your presence, and then uh, you are continuously walking with us, uh, you are uh, walking for us, so we do have hope and uh, we do have a faith in you that our God and King is going to walk this journey with, with us all the time. And then uh, whenever we see the opposition is coming against us, but uh, we, have, we want to fix our, eye, fix our eyes on you and that we will walk with you, God. And then we rely on you, Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit. We're going to fulfill our life destiny, God. So I give you all honor, and then I, I say thank you so much for your patience, your, your endurance, and then even your faith in us. I honor your name. I exalt your name. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.